new series. And to do that, we need to start thinking about the church. What is the church all about? If you've never been to church before, it might seem like kind of a mysterious thing. Why, why church every week? And if it's on Sunday morning, why so early? I mean, can't we figure out how to start this thing later? Why church on Sunday? Can't we skip school to go to church? If you stop and think about it, there's lots of kind of interesting things that happen at church. Um, Some churches have pastors or, or ministers that look like this next guy. They wear these like really, I mean, they're just, those are just cool. Um, or this next guy, I was a little bit taken back by his. I don't know why his fancy scarf gets to have fire like on it on the side. The only thing I can think of is that it kind of matches his hair. His head, head looks like it's on fire. So, Look, churches do all kinds of weird stuff. Um, some churches do things called interpretive dance, which is... <laughs> I don't even really know how to describe it. It's supposed to be like a divine message for you that you learn watching people like dance around and whatever. Other churches have dramatic readings to inspire you and encourage you in your faith. And those really have nothing to do with the way God instructs us in his word either. If you've never been to church before, you may think that all kinds of stuff is weird. Even if you've been coming to church for a little while, you may think, like our church, why baptisms on Sunday night? Why do those people get up there and give that short speech, and then they let that pastor, like, dunk them in water? What's that all about? And you guys wear, like, white robes here when you get baptized, and maybe you've been to another church where you see people wear, like, those cool, fresh t-shirts that say, like, yay, Jesus, or whatever. Like, what's going on? What is that? Communion. What's with this like little Sunday snack? And why is it so small? Is it? Can we get some more? Like <laughs> you might just wonder what what is going on with church. It may seem strange to take an offering. Why are people putting money in this basket? What's happening here? What's with the singing? All the singing. Why does everybody sing together? What's it about? And the standing and then sitting and standing and sitting and standing and sitting. Do the pastors think everybody's getting chubby? Like, what's happening? And why do they give out donuts every Sunday morning if they're worried about that? What's going on at church? (laughs) Some churches do crazy things. But I want you to think about this question. What is church all about? What is church all about? And tonight, I want to begin a a study in a book that's meant to answer that very question. First Timothy, start making your way there. First Timothy is a short letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young pastor charged with the care of a church in a place called Ephesus. Paul doesn't really hide the intention of his letter at all. 
I remember being in junior high and we wrote letters and notes to each other. Students wrote notes in school and in church and those notes were, the, the purpose of them was so hidden. It was like we would write stuff that didn't make sense and little drawings and jokes and all kinds of stuff. But the whole point was like to let somebody know that you thought they were cute or whatever. It made no sense. But that's not like Paul's letter at all. He this is very different. He isn't hiding his purpose. He actually comes right out and says it. In chapter 3, verse 14, he writes this, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things, talking about 1 Timothy, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar in buttress of the truth. So what's this letter about? What's First Timothy all about? What's the big idea of First Timothy? Well, it's a letter for Timothy to be confident as a young pastor in his leadership of this church that he's overseeing. And it's a letter to help him lead the church to act and live and be the church of God. But it's also for the church to know too. It's not just for Timothy. It's a letter that's aimed at two people. It's, it's definitely for the pastor, but also for the congregation. It's for the shepherd of the church and also the church itself. So again, this letter is to help both of them know how they are to live for the glory of God in the church. That's what the big idea is of 1 Timothy, help Christians live for the glory of God in the church. We get that same benefit because we have God's word and we have this letter. We can understand what we're supposed to do when it comes to the church also. And interesting because it seems that Paul has already explained a lot of this to Timothy before, what the church was and you know how believers were supposed to live and how they were supposed to come together and be the church so 1 Timothy, in a lot of ways, is just a repeat of things that Paul has already told Timothy, and Timothy knows this, but it's a reminder of, of what the church is supposed to be like as Timothy sort of navigates the difficulties that he's now seeing in the church. And even confusion of like what the church is supposed to be doing and what we're not supposed to be doing, he needed this reminder, which is just, it's really good news for us. Today, as we kind of survey the landscape of churches, and maybe you've been to a couple different churches, and you're like, wow, all these churches are very different. How do we know what the church is supposed to be about? Well, First Timothy can help us answer that question. I want to say this. It's not this letter. It's not a manual on like step-by-step instruction of what like a Sunday morning service is supposed to look like. It's not really what it is, and it's not an exhaustive treatment either on all that the church is supposed to do. But First Timothy gives us a lot of wisdom and, and insight into how the church should be. It's instruction from God for believers, for those who belong to him and how they're supposed to live. So God tells us in First Timothy how the church should act if it's going to be the kind of church that's going to glorify him and, and honor him and that's just a great letter that we should want to know. If, if you're a Christian, we should want to know what this is about, that what, what a church is supposed to be like and how to understand that a church 
is meant to be one that's really focused on declaring the mysteries of the gospel. It's one that's it's meant to be focused on the good news of salvation. So you can know really quick, like what kind of church you're at based on how they handle, like just a great first assessment. How does a church handle the good news of, of salvation? How does a church present like, you know, this is how you could be made right with God, that message of salvation, of of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's a message that a biblical church is going to want to be proclaiming all the time. That's a message that Paul wanted Timothy, this young pastor, to really focus on. And it's a message that faithful pastors since Timothy's time have been focused on. It's a great message. So 1 Timothy helps us have a a biblical worldview for for the church. It centers the church on living in a way that that pleases God. We're going to see that as we study this letter. It's a a book that calls us to pay attention as Christians to the way that we live. And it's going to challenge us in the truths that we know and, and how those truths that we learn from God's word how we put those into practice, how that's going to change everything, whether or not we obey or not, whether or not we want to put into practice those truths that we know. That's just going to be a really helpful look for us. So tonight, I just, I just want to get us started. I'm just going to read the, this greeting, the first couple of verses here, and let me read that, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about those for a few minutes, and then send you off to small groups here. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. God's word says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So just in this short greeting, I just want to highlight a couple of things. I think they're going to be helpful for us, even in this brief Introduction, this greeting, we can be reminded of of something that's so helpful to the church, something that's so crucial for Christians, and it's this. Even in this greeting, we get a really good look of what a Christian's about, of what a Christian's like, and how they know that they belong to God. In verse 1, Christians know they belong to God, they know what the characteristics of a Christian actually are. That's kind of point one if you want to jot those down. Like, how do I know I belong to God? Well, we see some clear characteristics of a Christian. As we talk about belonging to the church, it's, it's good to know how, how to belong if you actually do. So Paul, here just in verse one, he's, he's talking about himself. He calls himself an apostle. You might be like, what in the world is an apostle? It's just a word that Paul's using to help make it clear that he's somebody under authority. And particularly, he's got a message that has the full authority of one who's sending that message. And in this case, it's God himself. So a great reminder that 1 Timothy, yes, written by Paul, but also is a message from Jesus, a message on how to live and how to conduct yourself as a Christian in the church and to do that in a way that that honors him. So again, a message we should want to understand because of who it's from. 
So Paul says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God. Basically, Paul's saying to Timothy, this letter has authority and Paul has been dispatched by God to deliver it. Okay, here's this message. And Paul, as he opens this letter, he just presenting himself as a man with authority, but also under authority. And he even talks about the, the hope that he has because of God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, our hope, he says. So Paul is kind of bounding in anticipation of the hope that he has in Christ. And just to kind of help you put that together, it's the way Paul talks about in so many of his other letters, the, the hope that he talks about is this longing and this desire that he has. He's consumed by it. He can't wait to be with Jesus. He can't wait for the day that he gets to be with Christ. The hope that he has, and it's a, a hope of of a promise that will be fulfilled, a hope that he has of, of eternal life and that he gets to be with, with Christ in a place where there's no more sin and everything's the way that God intended it to be in the first place. So thinking about these characteristics of a Christian, here's what I wanted to highlight. Think about how Paul describes himself here. For Paul, Jesus is his master, verse 1, and commander and his hope. And you know what? That's, that's true of you too if you're a Christian. If you're in Christ, if you've put your trust and your faith in the gospel and what Christ did on the cross to pay for your sin, then you're a Christian. And the way Paul describes himself is actually true of you too. Jesus is your master. Jesus is your commander. And Christ is your hope too. And it just seems to me that if that's true of you, if these characteristics are, are true of you, then boy, it's just going to be a lot easier for you to live with other Christians in the church. Yours will be a church where, you know, proclaiming the gospel and honoring Christ, it's not going to be like a secondary thing. It's not going to be a, a church where it's all about you and all about man and, and your stuff. It's going to be a, a church where you have such a high view of God and a biblical view of what God's word says about who we are and how much we need him. So you'll be a people who love to tell others about Christ, who long to share with everybody what Jesus has done for you. That's how you'll live when Christ is your master and your commander and, and your hope. You're just going to live your days, I think, so differently than when you were without Christ, when, when your master was sin and when your commander was the devil and when you were without hope. You're going to be living very differently when you're in Christ as we think about the church and her conduct and her life, this greeting serves as such a good reminder and good description of those who belong to the household of God, those who are in the big church of God, the body of Christ. That's a great description. And Timothy is, is one of them. Timothy is one who belongs to that group. In verse two, we're introduced to him. He's you know, already I said he's the recipient of this letter. He's a young pastor. 
Acts chapter 16, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but there it records kind of the initial meeting between Paul and Timothy. You kind of get a little glimpse of what's going on. He was found there, Acts 16, to be this disciple of Christ when Paul returned to this city called Lystra. If you go back a couple chapters, Acts 14, Paul was there in Lystra, and there's a man who's who can't walk, and Paul heals him, not of his own power, but of the power that Christ had given him to heal and cast out demons and and spread the gospel. And as he healed this man, everybody in the city immediately thought Paul and his friends were gods. And they began to worship them and do all kinds of crazy stuff because they didn't want to offend Paul and his friends because, again, they thought they were gods. And Paul stops them and says, no, 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 don't do this. Don't worship us. We are not gods. We're under the authority of the one true God. And Paul's former friends, the Jews, catch wind of what's happening with Paul and they show up there in Lystra and they, they go to kill him. They stone him. But Paul actually doesn't die. He survives this horrible beating. And I'm not sure if Timothy got saved at, at that time or, or not, but pretty good argument and pretty logical to think that Timothy was probably there and probably saw it and most likely stood there and, you know, was impacted by this man's testimony and this man's grit to, to preach and teach the gospel. He was even willing to, to put his own life on the line. It seems logical that that's what happened, but whatever the case now, Timothy is a, a disciple of, of Christ. He was even commissioned to be a pastor of this church in, in Ephesus. And we'll, we'll get to that in the weeks to come. But it's clear from verse 2 of 1 Timothy that Paul loves this guy. He loves Timothy. And he's a young pastor who needs encouragement. He's a, a young guy who's, who's trying hard to lead this church in the right direction, but he, he needs some help. And, and we just benefit from this greeting. And I just want to look at it for a second, but it's, it's meant to do the same thing for us, this quick sort of triple blessing by Paul. And I just, I'm going to call it this. It's the vocabulary of a Christian. I think that's our second point. Christians know they belong to God. They're going to have a certain vocabulary. And here's what I mean. I don't mean that they know what words they should say and shouldn't say. That's in other parts of the Bible. This is something different. I want to talk about words that every Christian should know and love. And there are three of them, grace and mercy and peace. Three words that honestly, by the time you even hit junior high, have perhaps begin to lost their effect on you. I know we were talking about those who haven't been in the church, but if you have been in the church for a significant amount of time, they're words that you've heard often. They're just church words, Bible words, words that you hear a lot, words that preachers say a lot. Um, I was trying to think of this earlier, like what words we use like that. And I thought of maybe this one, like the word literally. I think that's one that we're starting to use so much that it's losing its meaning. You know, like, I literally just did this thing. She literally just said this to me. I'm literally starving. I'm literally falling asleep. Like, whatever. We use that word so much. Awesome is another one. This pizza's awesome. My dog's awesome. My mom's awesome. (laughs) Like, 
What does it mean? Okay, like the word literally or, or awesome, I think we have some words that maybe we're just so used to, grace and mercy and peace, that we don't even know what they mean anymore. But these words are words that every believer should know and own. These words should never lose their meaning for you. Important vocabulary for every believer. And just quickly, grace, this first word, it's this word that's meant to remind you of what's not deserved. It's unmerited. It isn't something that you, you've done to, to earn this favor with God, but it's favor that, that we know, that all believers know through Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 explains that you were dead in your sin and now you are alive because of Christ. And Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, this is grace. You didn't do anything. It wasn't you. you. You didn't deserve it. It was God, and it's grace. And that's an amazing word, the grace of God to save us. And it's the grace of God to continue to work in our lives, to grow us and change us, to transform us. It's the Grace of God, yes, big time to make us this new creation, but then the grace of God to continue to grow us as a new creation, to give us new thoughts and new desires and new actions. That's an amazing grace. That's why we sing that song. Amazing grace that's ours in Christ. By his grace, not only do we receive new life, but we receive all these new things, and it's grace that a Christian what we should thank the Lord for every single day. Thank you for this grace at work in my life. And not just grace, but this second word, mercy, there in verse two. Sort of this word that reminds us of incredible compassion of God towards us who are dead in our sin. Back to Ephesians 2, verse four, but God being rich in mercy, Paul writes, because the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Oh, such rich mercy of God. Paul says he was rich in this mercy. Mercy that was motivated by God's love to, to offer salvation to people who were sinners and enemies of his. Mercy you know, that reminds us that God is faithful and his love towards us. It's not earned. It's not deserved. But what was deserved was the judgment of God. But God mercifully spares us from that. God is rich in mercy and it's God love that, that he has. It's a love that God is abounding in, a love that led him to send his son to pay for our sent mercy to, to settle this judgment. It's an amazing word that we should know. And, and Timothy needed a reminder of the mercy that he had received from, from God, a, a, a reminder that needed to sort of get into his heart to help him for the difficulties of being a pastor of this church. He's meant to be motivated by that mercy, to be strengthened by it, empowered by it. And he was supposed to teach others about this very same mercy. It's mercy that, that teaches of the, the help for those who can't help themselves. And that's a reminder, even for you as a young Christian, and I know there are some in the room 
wow, what mercy God has, has shown you. And not just mercy, but lastly, peace. Peace points to the, the wholeness, the completeness of life as it should be. It reminds us of the peace that Christ brought to us in his ministry, the, the peace of God that's available in the gospel. Christ brought peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ. Jesus brought peace from the wrath of God that all of us are born into. John chapter 3, verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John writes, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. It's, it's already there. There's judgment and wrath, and it's on you, and only through Christ can you be set free from this judgment. Only through Christ can you have this peace. So on our own, I, I just am reminded of it. I think a lot of you, even in junior high, know that without Christ, on your own, peace is something that's really fragile, Something that's easily taken from you. Find yourselves lacking peace all the time, but with God, peace is something that's meant to be ours. It's something that's just, it's meant to be securing and comforting and encouraging for our lives. Every day, we can wake up no matter what's in front of us and say, I have peace with God. And that's huge. That's so important. And I can face this secondary thing, even though it might be scary, even though it might be really challenging, even though it might not even seem fair, but I have peace with God. That judgment that was on me has been taken off. So what do we learn from this greeting? A couple of verses here. Those like Timothy that belong to God's household, we are a part of God's church we should desire to live the way that we're instructed to. And we have to know the importance of grace and mercy and peace. We have to know these words and these words should be precious to us. That vocabulary is so important for a Christian. Grace to remind you of the way God dealt with your sin and mercy reminding you of the love that God had for you even though you were sinful and even though you deserve judgment and this peace that's replaced the chaos of sin's work in your life. Such important words. We're going to learn a lot from this letter addressed to Timothy. And, and like Timothy, we need to know these words and these words need to be true for us. One thing that I'm encouraged of, and, and we'll see more of this in weeks to come, these words, by the way, aren't in short supply with God. He has an infinite supply of grace, mercy, and peace. And like Timothy, we're going to need it. And, and God is truly the only source that we can find it. And so we need this instruction and we need this reminder even as a young Christian, to start learning, what is the church supposed to be? How do I fit into it? What am I supposed to do? All that's ahead. Let me pray for us. Father, we are excited to study this letter over the next few months. I pray that you would use our time in your word to 
Help us understand how to belong to you. And, and once we do, how to live the way that you expect us to, Lord. And, and God, we know that all of your word is, is valuable and it's all profitable. So I pray that you just would even use a message like this to help someone here tonight to, to understand your gospel that they would trust you for the grace and the mercy and the the peace that you offer. Lord, that they would look to you to be their master, their commander, and their hope. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.